I uh, hope everybody's doing well this morning. This morning we're starting our new series, our new series called Greater Than, and it's a lead up to Easter. And uh, we're sort of transitioning into that time where we start to look and think about Easter and what it all means. And, and I think for me, every time uh, this time of year comes about, I always start asking the question, whether it's for myself as a reminder or uh, for the people that are around me, you know, what, what is the point of Easter? Why is Easter such a big deal? Why does it still matter today? Uh, why is it more than the Easter bunnies or chocolate or, or that kind of thing? Why is it a bigger deal even than Christmas, even though we make a bigger deal of Christmas, it seems sometimes a lot, than we do about Easter? So we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about, uh, hopefully, in a practical, intangible way, why Easter um, still really matters today. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed this before, is that uh, sometimes as Christians, whether it's you want to refer to yourself as a Christian or a Christ follower or uh, whatever, whatever that is, culture takes the word Christianity and it's, it's kind of put it in a bit of a box. Uh, it's been labeled a handful of things, sometimes to the point where we talk about being a Christian, but we're not sure whether or not that's the word that we want to use because it comes with some connotations and we want to make sure that we are expressing uh, the right things when we actually talk about our faith and who we're trying to follow and what that actually looks like. And for me, I run into this uh, sometimes with friends. It happens a lot in the hockey locker room. I would bet, if we, I just got the email uh, like an hour ago of the hockey lineups tonight. There's a couple new guys coming. So I would bet this is going to happen to us here tonight. I don't know about you, but when people find out that I'm a Christian, that I'm a Christ follower, they react in one of these four ways. Uh, they go, oh wow, uh, I go to church too. And then we start to play church bingo and we kind of like go through it all. They kind of get awkward, they continue normally, or they just stop swearing. <laughs> Have you noticed that? This happens to me all the time be in the hockey locker room and somebody will go, oh, Mike's a pastor. And then the person will like replay the last five minutes of their life in their head. What did I just say? And I will have people look at me and go, I'm really sorry. For what? It's, it's okay. <laughs> right? But like sometimes we get this, uh, this thing where like Christianity gets a label and, and this is one of those things, right? Christians don't like it when you swear around them. Something bad is going to happen. And maybe that's true and maybe that's not. And I'm not giving you a green light to go do that. But it's just funny how culture interprets the things that we say and the way we describe. And first century Jews were having a little bit of trouble figuring this out too. Distinguishing what it meant to be a Jesus follower. And the differences between actually following Jesus and following a lot of those Jewish laws that came for hundreds and hundreds of years before them. And, and Jesus came to do something new. Of course, a lot of us that are a part of the church know that. And, and those of you that might be just figuring this out for the first time or you're trying to feel your way through all of this Jesus stuff, I assure you that when you read through Scripture, the, the, the beginning, the, what Jesus brought was something new and exciting to all of us. And there was people then that were kind of having trouble figuring that out, and some of those people are still here, and sometimes we have trouble, you know, discerning those two things. So, so I have two goals for this series over the next six weeks, and it kind of depends on where you're coming from. If you're a Christian, my goal over the next six weeks 
is to help you either maybe hear something you haven't heard before or heard something you've heard before in a different way, or help you to be able to talk about this topic in a practical way to the people that are around you. Maybe you'll be able to use something that you heard and go, oh, this is a way that I can describe why Easter matters. Uh, and if you're not a Christian, I hope that what this series does is it helps you sort of maybe pick apart some of those parts that you thought were important about following Jesus. Some of the things like, uh, you know, things that I've encountered in my hockey locker room, like that's a really, that's a, a, a linchpin piece, but really uh, we'd like to talk about the most important parts about why Jesus came and why it's so important that he died on the cross. And so we're going to do that over the next few weeks in a few ways. We're going to talk about uh, church leaders and pastors. We're going to talk about politics a little bit. Don't miss that one. We're going to talk about um, sort of good deeds and what it means to be a good person and how that fits into this. We're going, to talk the, we're going to talk about the Bible and actual Scripture and how that falls in here. We're going to talk about death. But today, we're going to start by talking about the church. And, and I don't mean like this gathering of people or like the capital C church. I'm talking about what people would see as the church, a lot of people from the outside, and that is the building, the place that we're actually sitting in this morning, the physical space that we occupy on Sunday mornings all across our country. And when Jesus talked about the building, he actually said something <laughs> that was a little bit offensive. Have you ever been offended by either the Bible or something else somebody said? Have you ever heard this idea that like the Bible is really offensive? Or like you'll be in a conversation with somebody and they'll say, you know, I read something in the Bible and it really hurt me and it was really offensive. I and mean, sometimes there are people that talk about the Bible that take the idea that they know that there's going to be a couple things that are in the Bible that are a little offensive and they use that as like a jumping off point for like, like, like permission for them to intentionally be offensive. Like the Bible says this stuff and it's offensive and so I'm supposed to be too. We all know a couple people like that. I would just say, if you've ever sort of shaded towards that way, I would just ask you to stop <laughs> and not to do that. <laughs> that's not the intention. Uh, and if you're a person who that's happened to before, uh, just on behalf of whomever I can, I'd just like to apologize for that. There are some things in the Bible that are, are tough to read, but that doesn't mean that we need to make it tougher. We're actually supposed to be coming alongside you and helping you with that. So um, hopefully you can take that for what it means as well. Now, there's this section of Scripture that's actually really offensive. One of the most offensive things in all of the things that we read in Scripture that Jesus probably said and probably talked about. And we can think of all the stories and all the different things that Jesus said, but there's one thing in particular that really upset people more than anything else. And we're going to read that Scripture in a minute, but first I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory. Here's something important for you to understand this morning. In Jewish culture, in the time in when Jesus was around, there was nothing more important, more lifted up, or more celebrated than the Jewish temple. It was sort of the center of everything. It's where the wisdom was kept. It's where the law was kept. It's where, it's where God was found and you could encounter Him. There was money and you had to give to the temple and it was it was really the central hub of everything related to God was the temple. If there's any place that you've ever felt 
was like a um, was like a, a super sacred place to you, somewhere that you thought was really important, times that feeling by a million. And that's how Jews felt about the temple. And they felt that way so strongly that they would be willing to give their life to make sure that they protected the temple. Here's an interesting little story about this. I, I tried to tell this story sort of off the top of my head in the first service, and it went okay, but I'm just going to read it out here. I hope you are okay with that. I think it'll still pass. Uh, here's, here's just an example of how seriously they took the temple. Around the year 40 AD, citizens of Jerusalem were notified that a statue of Emperor Calaglio was to be erected within the temple walls. The governor of Syria was given responsibility for transporting the statue from the port city to Jerusalem. He was accompanied by two legions, approximately 10,000 soldiers. When he arrived to take possession of the statue, he was shocked to discover that thousands of Jews from all over the region had gathered in protest. When threatened, with, uh, in, when threatened with violence, instead of organizing to defend themselves, the protesters knelt and exposed their necks to Roman blades. The message was clear. They would rather die before they witnessed their temple defiled. The governor was outmaneuvered. Armored conflict was one thing. Slaughtering unarmed citizens was something else entirely. But he ignored the crowds and his legions made their way inland to Tiberias. Now, according to Josephus, upon reaching Tiberias, they were met with an even larger contingency of protesters doing the same thing. And Scripture says this. It says, they threw themselves down on their faces and stretched out their throats and said they were ready to be slain. And they did this for 40 days together and in the meantime left the tilling of the ground and while the season of the year required it to sow. Thus they continued firm in their resolution and proposed to themselves to die willingly rather than to see the dedication of the statue. So here's a group of people that are not only willing to let their economy collapse and their crops go unplanted, but to sit and not even fight and just allow themselves to be killed in order to protect this piece of real estate. That's the concept, the context under which we are discussing today. So, with that, let's get into our scripture in Matthew chapter 12. It says this. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of the grain to eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are the teachers of the law. These are the ones that hold all these Jewish laws. And then the Sabbath, you're supposed to do nothing. Right. And they were doing something. That's right. <laughs> Thank you for playing along. So uh, the Pharisees are very upset and they're pointing this out. They're saying it's really bad. It's very offensive that you're doing this. You shouldn't be doing this. And he's calling out Jesus and his disciples. Jesus answers, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or have you, haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the, the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. 
If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Did you catch the offensive part in there? Did you catch the part, maybe one of the most offensive things that Jesus ever said to any Jewish leader? It wasn't the part about the Sabbath. It was verse 6, because verse 6 said, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Whoa. (laughs) Now, in the context of everything I just told you, that statement is massive, huge implications. This is the hub. This is the center of their faith. And Jesus is walking in going, something greater than the temple is here. It's arrived. And so what is greater in the temple? Well, we uh, can guess and know this, but let's go through this conversation in Matthew 16. We'll jump ahead a little bit. When Jesus came to the region, his sister of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, other Elijah's, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of his prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So this is interesting because when Jesus says, who do the people say I am? Who do the people, we talked about sort of some of those misconceptions about Christianity. So Jesus says, who do the people say I am? And they go, well, some of them say you're Elijah or John the Baptist, and some say you're Jeremiah or some of the other prophets. You're somebody from the past. You're somebody from the past to bring something back that was, that was old, to renew something that already existed. You're not something new. You're something from there. You're something that's older. But Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He ordered his disciples then not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Look at inside that other part. After they acknowledge that they really understand who Jesus is, despite what other people say, he says, on you, I will build my church. Now, church in that particular setting is a Greek word, ekklesia. It means a gathering. It also means to be set apart. Right? So it's this community. It, it, in context, it would have been a word that made a ton of sense in that moment. So now Jesus has said, there's something bigger than the temple. And later he says, <laughs> and it's me. <laughs> and so this is why Jesus has so much trouble with so many of the religious leaders because he isn't renewing something old like Elisha or one of the prophets, but he's bringing in a completely new way to interact with God and to worship. And this is why there's so much tension. And it's centered around, in this particular conversation, the building, which is really interesting. Now, I don't know about you, 
But I think a lot of Christians see the building even still as kind of like this central hub. They see the building as the best place that faith development can happen. They see it as the best place where people can learn about Jesus. We'd, and you know what? And even if, do you remember all the way back in uh, the ver- my very first Sunday, if you were here, I'm not sure, but all the way back in my very first Sunday, we watched this video of this girl who couldn't find somebody to date, and she made this list, all these lists of things. Okay, and we were all giggling, yes. The church as kind of the hub of the things that we try to accomplish, in the back of our minds is actually one of those things on our list. The building itself as a central important part. It's there. And I bet you a lot of us could have a conversation after you and you go, you know, the building isn't that central place. Jesus was right. It wasn't the temple. It was Him. It was something new. But somewhere in our hearts, in the back of our heads, we feel like, I don't know, but there's this whole big space. We feel like this must be so important somehow. It's the best place to serve. It's the best place to learn about your faith. And Jesus comes in and He goes, oh, hold on. There's too much focus being put on this area and not enough being focus being put on the Son of Man, the big thing that's actually going to change. Later on, Jesus would go on and die on the cross and rise again, not a building or a piece of real estate. I think this is how Christians sometimes see the building, and this is our struggle. Now, non-Christians see our building a little bit differently. People that aren't a part of our faith or don't completely understand everything that we're thinking about. I, I have a friend, and this is a true story. I have a friend that when we owned the landscaping company a few years ago, he wanted to borrow up like one of those big gas backpack blowers that like the person that's happy has them because the leaves go really fast, but all six neighbors in a row hate it. And so he wanted to borrow that. And I said, you know, I'm going into my church tonight. I'll bring it with me. You drive past it on your way home from work. You can just grab it. And this is a guy I know from hockey. And as we're walking towards the door, I met him in the parking lot. And as we're walking towards the door, he's like looking around. I'm not kidding. And he's like, I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I'm just afraid I'm going to get zapped by lightning or something. And I said, you're not. He goes, don't be so sure. You don't know some of the things I've done. And I said, okay, (laughs) but that's not how the building works, (laughs) right? It's this perception that, like, God lives here. Like, God is only going to find out about the stuff that you did or care about the things that are happening in your life or know what's going on or want to intercede or listen to your prayers if they're here. And this is an actual real feeling that this friend of mine had. Like, and I'm serious, the whole time we were in there, I've never seen the guy nervous. Like, it's like he was just waiting for Jesus to pop out of one of the Sunday school rooms. It was wild. And we make light of it, and it's funny, but it was a really serious moment for me because, because he was actually afraid of what could happen. Is that how people in your life view the building? We put all this effort, this time, this space into what we're doing. It's so funny. Um, This morning, now, we've, you know, much to James's heart rate going down by 100 beats, we've fixed a lot of the problems we had this morning. (laughs) But if you were here for first service, I mean, my mic wasn't working, your guitars were, voices, like the stuff was crackling, we had internet Stu- it seemed like just a lot of stuff happened in the building this morning that was a little bit distracting. 
This week, the staff was so excited. We took down the ropes. We set up the, the lobby back to the way it was supposed to be. We were really, really excited. Hey, look at all this stuff that's happening. It's really, really cool. And as much as we all said, you know, this isn't the, po- the focus part, this isn't what's most important, there's a part of us that was all excited about this. And I feel like as the week went on, and I sort of struggled with this message, and you guys changed your worship set a couple of times, and I, you know, didn't get slides to James for the first service, and, 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 and. It just seemed like this unbelievable thing. Like, you know how sometimes you say, God, give me patience, and he doesn't give you patience, he gives you a reason to be patient? Or you say, God, give me wisdom, and then he just puts you in a situation where you better get smarter or you're in trouble. This morning, it was me kind of walking around going, I'm going to talk about how the building doesn't matter. And he's going to be like, okay, then we're going to break everything. Yet here we are, still gathering, still the ecclesia, still God's people. Because whether we do it here or we do it out there, God is with us every step of the way because in that first century when Jesus died and rose, the hub of worshiping God got removed from a place. It went out with us everywhere we went. And so this morning, that's kind of the challenge. The the thought kind of behind this morning is if you see Christianity as like the building, we're kind of missing the point. We're kind of missing it. We're not really sure That's not really what we're supposed to be about. And even though I don't think anybody that's a Christ follower would really say that's all about, there's a little bit of us that's like, ah, it's important. The challenge this morning is as we move towards Easter and we talk about all the things that Jesus is greater than. He's greater than the building. He's greater than the leaders. He's greater than the things that we vote for. He's greater than our building that we're actually able to express that to people who are afraid to walk in because they think they're going to get struck by lightning. That's a real thing in our culture. And it's up to us, those who understand that it's actually Christ that's the hub of the faith. Not something that somewhere we go or something that we do, but it's Jesus and our ability to articulate that well to our neighbors and to our friends. So this morning, that's kind of the challenge. Can we think about how we view the church? Can you think about how the people around you might view the church? And the conversations leading up to Easter, the most pivotal moment in our faith. And how to have those conversations and what to say to people and how to maybe ask the right question or just sit and listen and try to identify things. Because there are lots of things that happen out there that I think sometimes we just miss. And maybe it's because we're in here a little bit too much in our hearts. And this is what Jesus was saying all the way back then. There is something greater than the temple, (laughs) and it's me. And so our challenge and our call is to take that seriously and to act like it. Amen? Okay, let's pray together. God, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity for us to come together to worship, to learn, to be stretched. God, I pray this morning as, uh, as we finish out our service, as we go out into the world, that Lord, you would teach us how to bring you out, out of here, out the doors, out into the world, to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, to our hockey dressing rooms, wherever it is that we happen to go. 
God, I pray that you would put us in a position to have conversations about why what you did is so important and who you are and why that matters. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to humble us. I thank you for um, teaching all of us on the leadership team this morning and this week um, that the things that we believe here are actually true, for giving us the opportunity to be humbled a little bit and reminded, too, that you are the hub of the wheel, that you are the alpha and the omega, that you're the one that we look to in times of trouble. So, God, I just pray that you would keep that on our hearts as we leave this space that is a cool place to be, but certainly is not the reason that we're here. In Jesus' name, amen.